Hi, we're the Misery Machine. I'm Yerky. And I'm Drewby. And this week we're continuing our series of child cases and CPS-related failings across all 50 states. And this week we're doing Massachusetts. Yeah, Massachusetts is one of our favorite places to visit and spend time, but they really have some horrific cases when it comes to CPS failings and child deaths in general. They do. And if you're listening on YouTube, please hit like and subscribe. This is the best way to support our channel, as well as get cases like these that so desperately need a light shown on them out into the YouTube algorithm. Without further ado, what the hell's going on in Massachusetts? In continuing our series of child death cases across the United States, this week we've decided to shed some light on two cases that took place only hours away from us in the state of Massachusetts, one of which was thought to have possible ties to a very well-known missing child case here in Maine. The other comes from a listener's suggestion on YouTube, which still remains unsolved as of the time of this recording. On the afternoon of June 25th, 2015, a woman discovered a plastic garbage bag on the shoreline of Deer Island near Boston, Massachusetts while walking her dog. The bag disguised something that no person would ever hope to find. It was the body of a little girl, clad in only a pair of white leggings designed with a black polka dot pattern along with a zebra print blanket. Authorities originally estimated that the girl had died within days of her discovery. Later developments in the case have suggested that the child's body may have been hidden in a fridge for as long as one month before it was found on Deer Island. Despite the fact that she appeared to have been deceased only a short time, she had already begun to decompose, so visual identification was not possible. Decomposition also made it impossible to collect fingerprints due to exposure to the water. Investigators were able to conclude that she was a young child, but was initially unsure of her race or ethnicity. An autopsy was conducted on July 3rd, but did not conclude what had caused the girl's death. While authorities suspected foul play as a factor in the case, no signs of obvious injury had been found on the remains. Tests were later conducted to find any toxins, drugs, or alcohol present in the body as a possible explanation for the death. The child was eventually determined to be between the ages of three and five and appeared to be white with possible Hispanic ancestry. Her hair was described as being brown and wavy, about 14 inches in length. Presumably, the child's hair was left untrimmed for about two years. No distinct birthmarks or scars were found on her tiny body and her ears were pierced. The girl appeared to have been well cared for during her life. No signs of malnutrition or abuse were noted. The National Center for Missing and Exploited Children digitally reconstructed the face of the child after attempts to identify her body failed. The reconstruction was created in four hours using Adobe Photoshop and the influence of mortuary and stock photographs to give an estimation of the child's appearance while alive, and it was released to the public on July 2, 2015. Many viewers mistook the composite for an actual photograph. When searching missing persons databases produced few cases matching her profile, authorities began to believe that the child may have never been reported missing. Among other theories, early speculation was that the girl could have been murdered by a member of her family. The local police department reported they had received many tips suggesting possible identities for the child, including those of missing girls throughout the country, one of which was Ayla Reynolds, who disappeared from her father's home in Waterville, Maine. Finally, 
On September 18th, 2015, the little girl's body was identified as that of Bella Nevea Amoroso Bond. Bond's mother, 40-year-old Rochelle Bond, and her boyfriend, Michael McCarthy, were arrested, and authorities confirmed that Bella had been murdered, even though an initial autopsy performed on the body did not uncover the exact cause of death. The identification was made after the sister of one of Rochelle Bond's neighbors reported to police a link between Bond and the Jane Doe. Apparently, the neighbor had noticed Bella was absent from the household and had confronted Rochelle Bond and Michael McCarthy about it. They stated that the girl had been taken away by the Department of Children and Families. Subsequently, the neighbor told his sister that he believed that the baby Doe was Bella Bond, and she contacted authorities immediately. One witness told the police that she grew concerned when she stopped seeing the child at her mother's apartment and when the girl's toys were disposed of. On September 17, 2015, a search warrant was executed at Bond's home in Dorchester, Massachusetts. Rochelle Bond, known as a habitual drug user, had two other children who had been removed from her custody. She had also been arrested multiple times in the past for other crimes, including prostitution. Police commented that they had dealt with complaints that she was neglecting her daughter and had four separate encounters with Bond. Bella's family was interviewed after the identification was announced. Her aunt stated that she had never suspected that Bella was the unidentified girl, and Bella's maternal grandmother was unaware she was even born. The Department of Children and Families had responded to two neglect complaints regarding Bella. Both of the cases were closed. Rochelle Bond alleged that McCarthy had punched Bella in the stomach multiple times after claiming she was a demon and that he was the sole perpetrator of the murder. Allegedly, Bella was murdered after she had been uncooperative about going to bed. Bond alleges that McCarthy had decided to calm the child down, and when she entered the room, she witnessed him near Bella's body, which was, by her admission, swollen and gray, indicating that she was deceased. Bond claimed McCarthy threatened to murder her if she contacted authorities. She also maintained that she was not involved in hiding Bella's body, which had initially been placed in a garbage bag and concealed in a refrigerator. A cadaver dog brought to the house later indicated that it smelled something on the refrigerator. Bond stated that McCarthy had placed Bella's body in a weighted duffel bag and disposed of it in the water. During McCarthy's trial in early June of 2017, a lifelong friend of McCarthy's took the stand and expressed that he had warned Rochelle Bond of the potential danger she was in after entering a relationship with Bella's alleged killer. He explained this was due to McCarthy's dark side, including the fact that he heavily researched topics such as demons and satanic rituals. He also had apparently believed that he had the ability to expunge demons from a residence. Police charged Michael McCarthy with Bond's death. They also charged her mother with being an accessory to the crime, believing her to have assisted McCarthy with covering up Bella's death. Larceny was added to Rochelle Bond's charges after she was found to have accepted nearly $1,400 of welfare income after she knew about the death of her daughter. Bond also continued to receive housing benefits. The prosecutor in the case suggested that Rochelle Bond be awarded with time served in exchange for a testimony against McCarthy. His decision was made after considering the allegations that Bond had been threatened to be killed if she came forward about Bella's death. Bond pled guilty on February 10, 2017 under the suggested plea bargain and was credited with time served plus two years of probation. McCarthy was convicted of murder in the second degree. 
on June 28, 2017, he was sentenced to life imprisonment with the possibility of future parole. Bella's biological father, Joe Amoroso, had allegedly never met his daughter, but had spoken over a telephone with her. Amoroso had stated he had learned of Bella's death when Rochelle had told him during a visit, within a week before the identification was made. He stated that he believed that Bond would never have hurt her daughter. Amoroso elaborated in another interview that he believed Rochelle had been sedated with an injection of heroin by her boyfriend quickly after Bella's death, as a track mark was visible on her neck that could not be the result of her own action. Bella's paternal grandmother stated that she believed Rochelle Bond was heavily involved in Bella's death and openly questioned the truthfulness of her allegations towards Michael McCarthy. Bella Bond was buried on November 28, 2015 at the Winthrop Cemetery during a private funeral. She was buried under a headstone that reads, Bella N. Bond Amoroso, with the date of death listed as the day she was discovered. Our next case takes place in the central Massachusetts city of Fitchburg and involves a five-year-old boy by the name of Jeremiah Oliver, who was found deceased off Interstate 190 in Sterling which is about 12 miles from Fitchburg. Jeremiah was wrapped in blanket-like material and packed in a suitcase. His body was located in April of 2014 after being reported missing in December by the Massachusetts Department of Children and Families. However, relatives have claimed that he had been missing as far back as September 14th of 2013. This is a really difficult story because how Jeremiah's body made it out to I-190, who put him there, or even how he died is still unknown, and the person or persons responsible for his death are still walking the streets free. Jeremiah's death has sparked questions about the state's role as it related to his care, with some stating that DCF completely failed in its duties to protect him. And I'd agree. According to DCF spokesperson Alec Loftus, the last documentation of state authorities' interaction with Jeremiah was in May of 2013. Loftus claims that in June, Jeremiah's social worker was told that he had moved to Florida to live with his grandmother. However, this was never followed up on or verified. The last visit to the home was in November, where the social worker left behind a business card indicating it would be DCF's final visit to the home. On December 2nd, Jeremiah's 8-year-old sister told counselors at her elementary school that her mother's boyfriend, Alberto Sierra, had abused her. After those statements, the girl and her brother were taken into protective custody. It was only then that authorities realized that Jeremiah was missing. The Massachusetts DCF commissioner fired the social worker and supervisor assigned to his case because they did not conduct the required in-person monthly checks on the family. It's been revealed that the social worker in question received a raise just before Jeremiah went missing and a merit-based promotion shortly thereafter. A third DCF worker who was an area program manager was also fired. So prior to locating Jeremiah's remains, the Worcester County DA's office arrested Jeremiah's mother, 28-year-old Elsa Oliver, and her boyfriend, 22-year-old Alberto Sierra. Oliver was charged with two counts of reckless endangerment of a child and two counts of accessory after the fact of a felony. Sierra was charged with two counts of assault and battery with a dangerous weapon, which was a knife and two counts of assault and battery on a child causing bodily injury. Three more people were arraigned in relation to the disappearance of Jeremiah Oliver. Christian Sierra, 21, which was Alberto Sierra's brother, Kaylee Tebow, 23, 
and Ashley M. Cormier, 24, all three of which are from Fitchburg. They were charged under perjury due to misleading investigators and lying to a grand jury regarding Jeremiah's disappearance, as well as witness intimidation. Jeremiah Oliver's father, Jose, who lives in Connecticut, had not seen his children in several years and was arrested in New Britain, Connecticut, on felony drug charges after he tried to sell 30 baggies of heroin to an undercover police officer. Despite being arrested on numerous drug charges, Jose Oliver was released on bond and stated he would still seek custody of his two children. However, Jeremiah's siblings were sent to live with a family down in Florida, which probably is for the best. So where does this case stand today? Well, Kaylee Tebow was sentenced to one year of probation after she pled guilty to misleading and lying to investigators about her interactions with Jeremiah. Christian Sierra, Tebow's ex-boyfriend and Alberto's brother, pled guilty to the same charges. Ashley Cormier, we weren't able to find anything on. There was a statement from her lawyer that she felt she would be exonerated. That's all we could find about it. Prosecutors had previously charged Alberto Sierra with abusing Jeremiah, along with his two siblings and mother. Prosecutors dropped the charges associated with Jeremiah, saying they did not want to make any moves that would rule out possible homicide charges against Sierra because of double jeopardy. Alberto Sierra was sentenced to as many as seven years in prison after he pled guilty to abusing Jeremiah's siblings and mother. Elsa Oliver pled guilty to endangering Jeremiah's siblings and abusing one of them. She was sentenced to seven and a half years in prison. Both received credit for time served prior to their convictions. According to the Western Massachusetts Regional Women's Correctional Center in Chicopee, Elsa Oliver was released on January 10th, 2020. Alberto Sierra was released from the North Central Correctional Institute in Gardner on March 25th, 2020, according to the State Department of Corrections. So both of them are walking free currently. Yes, and when sought out on social media by a reporter, Elsa said she suffered enough and blocked them. I would contest that statement. Yes, and I wonder, did they get out early because of COVID? Maybe. I didn't really keep up on the letting prisoners out early due to COVID. I knew that was happening. I wasn't sure what type of inmates, what type of charges they were looking to release. So I can't really comment on that if they were releasing, you know, child abusers or things like that. Oh, I don't know. I just noticed the dates and it stuck out in my head. Yeah, they were released relatively close together despite getting different prison terms and being in different prisons. So it's an interesting coincidence. So we ask you once again, why is this happening? In both of these cases, authorities knew about the abuses occurring in both the Bond and Oliver household and still failed to protect both of these children. What more can we do in order to hold folks accountable for these crimes against our most vulnerable? Please let us know what you think in the comment section below. Yes, please. Again, this is something that we can't really do by ourselves. This is something that we need to do with you. We need to hear your thoughts. We need to hear why you think this is happening. We've had a lot of great people share their experiences with CPS. And I want to be clear, we are documenting cases where CPS failed to protect children before they were murdered. While it's hard to find information on that, we can at least find some information on it. Here's what we can't find information on. When CPS takes children when they shouldn't have. 
and we've had a few people share those stories in the comment sections. I want to be fair. I know some states are more likely to take children than other states are. Some states are a lot more lax about it. That's not really something you can just pull up an article on unless the child is taken away to another family and killed there. I'm sure we could find something like that. But if you have an experience like I just mentioned with CPS, please put it in the comment section. I don't know how I'm exactly going to put it forward in an episode, but I feel these things need to be known. I really am grateful for everyone sharing their experiences with CPS and the foster care system because it is painful. We've had people message us who not just had children that entered the foster care system or were taken away from them. We've also had people message us who were in the foster care system themselves, who phased out, who experienced horrific things there. And these stories are important. They need to be heard. Yes. And if you're not comfortable with putting something in the comment section, you can always email us miserymachinepodcast at gmail.com. Yes, absolutely. We've had some folks join our Facebook group only to try to find one of us to reach out to us directly to let us know their story. And that's perfectly fine to do as well. If you're comfortable with that. Our DMs are open for things like that. We've had people message us on Discord, people message us on Instagram or email us, whichever way you're fine with, we're fine with as well. So I'm like, I'm wondering, just kind of off topic, but not really off topic. You know, does this happen a lot in Massachusetts? I'm a fan of the Dropkick Murphys, have been for a really, really long time, and they have a song called The State of Massachusetts, which literally is about Child Protective Services coming and taking your children away because you're on drugs. So maybe there's a culture of this in Massachusetts, but I feel like there's a culture of this everywhere. I don't know. I I need to hear what you, you guys think. And if you're from Massachusetts, again, we live about two to three hours from Massachusetts, but I'm not going to be this person that acts like I can speak on Massachusetts. So if you're from that area, we would love to hear from you as well. So if you appreciate this episode, if you could hit like and subscribe, this is one of the best ways to help our podcast grow, to help this channel grow. And with that growth, we are able to bring light to most of these cases. Now, YouTube does not like true crime channels. They do not like missing persons cases they do not like cases about children no they do not and so a lot of these cases get hidden from the algorithm but i feel this is a disservice because these cases need to be known a light needs to be shed on this because these children they don't have a voice any longer and there's children out there right now that could be saved if more awareness was raised and so how do you help with that well If we have more subscribers, if we have more likes on a video, that can fool the algorithm and get it out to more people that happened with our main child cases. And I feel very fortunate that we were able to get that message out there because our home state of Maine is kind of forgotten in the grand scheme of things. But I want to do the same to all 50 states after so many people came out and shared their stories. So if you want to help in this process, hit like and subscribe. Share this video with someone that you think would like it. These recommendations helping us grow. It helps our channel. And most importantly, it helps us give back. 
We also have a very wonderful group of people that decide to become our Patreon subscribers. So let's thank those people now. Absolutely. So thank you, Eddie, Rowan, Marky, Holly, Serena, Chloe, Mark, Tara, Neil and Karen, Dave and Karina, Dakota and Kitty, Jen, Mo, Jenny, Nora, Robin, Tom, Kaylee, Alex, Jacob, Victoria, Bailey, Steven, C. Asia, Amanda, Patricia, Alexis, Kareen, Catherine, Jody, Sally, Kimberly, Jacqueline, Lawton, Crystal, Nat, Cooper, Blue Unicorn, Michelle, Catherine, Rondi, Janice, Andrea, Welcome Adrian. Welcome Adrian. And Levi. And Levi, our highest tier Patreon supporter. There's his lovely picture right now. And if you too want to subscribe to us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the misery machine, you get access to all of our secret episodes. You get access to our secret Discord and Snapchat groups. And you may even get a postcard. I'm not going to say they're haunted. They're just really cool this month. They are really cool this month. Patreon.com slash the misery machine. And we just released a new secret episode on Sunday. A new one will be in the works soon. I would think that it will, well, by the time this comes out, I think it might be out this past Sunday too. So we're getting out a lot more episodes lately. If you don't like Patreon, there's subscribe star, there's buy me a coffee, there's PayPal. We're flexible. Whatever works for you. But until next week. We love you. We love you. Okay, bye. Bye.